Listen to the Inside Curling podcast ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Another episode of Inside Curling, fresh back from uh, Ottawa. Kevin's out of Regina, he's down in Palm Springs. I'm back in Edmonton, Warren's out in Coquitlam. We've got a couple of guests coming up right now. Uh, I don't know where they're coming from, but we do this each and every week. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. As always, our two World Curling Hall of Famers, Kevin Martin and Warren Hansen. We want to thank all our sponsors, Sports Interaction, who brings you what is happening around the curling world, Nestle Boost, sponsor of Mailbag and Coyote Tractor, brings you Hot Rock Topics. And our in-the-house guest spot is brought to you by Goldline. We've got a new sponsor, Hearing Life, who sponsors What Are You Hearing? On today's show, uh, Mailbag. Noel sent us an email about presenting curling at the club level in a different way. Uh, we're going to have a look at that. What's happening around the curling world? Of course, the final event. I just mentioned the Coyote Champions Cup concluding in Regina. Kevin, you were there. We'll get your reaction, fellas. The USCA has named a new CEO. Uh, we're going to take a look at that story. Hot Rock Topics. Uh, the Champions Cup was between Brendan Botcher and Brad Gushu, and what a game it was. Maybe an interesting decision by Brad. Uh, we'll talk about that. He had a couple options. One, about an 8% chance, and the other one, about a 90% chance. Hmm. What would you do? What are you hearing? We learned last week of another ch- uh, player change in one of the top teams in the world, so we're going to look at that. Goldline brings you in the house. Goldline Curling's Momentum Rush shoes are the fastest, most stable, and most comfortable shoes Goldline has ever made. Open the door, Jamie. See, I told you. <laughs> Open the goddamn door, Jamie. <laughs> We're here, Jamie. Yeah, well, okay. <laughs> Welcome, boys. Mark Kennedy, Ben Hebert, congratulations uh, winning this past weekend. Uh, well done, fellas. Uh, it's not your first victory. What do you do to wind down if there's any more winding down time? Uh, Hebert, what do you do? Do you, are you, do you run home and watch Netflix or something after the big victory? Drove home right after the game. I didn't get home till about 10 o'clock. I went over to Brett's because Brett lives a few blocks away. We had a victory whiskey, as we, as we do. Yep. And then I came home and did laundry the next day and took my son to lacrosse and my daughter to baseball. Kind of get back into the swing of things here. Woohoo! Wow, that's exciting. Yeah, big time. Yeah, I got. How about you, Mark? What did you do after the big game? Yeah, same as Benny. Kind of got on the road. I had a seven and a half hour drive back to St. Albert. So got back home, got home at about 11 o'clock on Sunday, just in time to get up in the morning to take my girls to uh, their eye appointments on Monday morning. So Kevin's laughing because he knows all about it with kids our age. It's uh, win, celebrate, have a quick uh, beer with the guys and then back to real life. Yeah, it's humbling, isn't it? Yeah, I got three kids too. Yeah, well, you just heard Ben. Well, I did a media tour, you know, all sorts of interviews. No, no, I had to do laundry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, welcome, boys, and uh, let's let's flip it over to the one and only Kevin. You guys shot somewhere in the low low to mid nineties as a team, and so did uh, Brad. Is that sort of, I guess, the new norm, Benny? We used to always say, if we can shoot ninety, we're going to win. Well, ninety won't cut it anymore. Well. It cuts it against most teams, unfortunately, not against Brad. I mean, Brad's just been on such a good roll, you know, the last two, three years, you know, probably, you know, the best skip in the world consistently for sure. And I think every time you go to play them, if if his team plays 90s up and down the board and, you know, he gets clicking his heels, you know, Kev, you know that feeling that's when you, you can't miss and your team's playing good and you're in happy land and 
you know, when Brad gets to that, those moments, you know, he's tough to beat. And, um, you know, we're excited, obviously, playing Brett's old team, playing the number one team in the world. You know, that's what gets me excited, playing the big games. And, um, you know, obviously, we knew going to that game we were going to have to bring our very best and played a really good game. Uh, you know, we controlled the board pretty good. And you always want to kind of either be one up coming home or, or have that last rock. So, I mean, it could have went either way in the end. And, yeah, I mean, you're never going to blow those guys out of the water. They're just too consistent and good. But we played a really good team game, and we played really good all week. So really nice to get that win. But uh, I wasn't expecting much of a different game, that's for sure, not out of those guys. You know what? We uh, In the opening before the broadcast, we actually uh, brought up the fact of you guys getting hammer. Um, I guess the importance of, Mark, the importance of the round robin, maybe more now than ever. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know how to say it. But that was kind of what we thought was going to be the difference, was actually something as simple as the hammer. How about, what do you think when you guys went through undefeated in the round robin and, and the benefits of that? Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think, uh, and I know Botch even mentioned it in his post-game interview that that was, ended up being kind of the, the edge and the difference between the two teams in that game. But, you know, you go back, Kevin, to the way that you used to play and control the hammer and the way that Brad has Gushu the past few years. Once he starts game with hammer, it's just so hard to wrestle it away. And even in that final, you know, Brad got a deuce in five to to kind of wrestle it away but it's only a one-point lead and, and we countered back with a quick deuce and six and we're back in advantage so yeah those little things throughout the week going undefeated having the hammer throughout the playoffs if teams are going to come out and play 90 92 percent against you sometimes it's going to be the hammer that makes the difference so you know those are the little things that we're trying to do better as a team and more consistent to, to give ourselves those little bit of an edge against those top teams I want to go a little way get into the uh, delivery part of your team um, a little bit before we throw it over to Warren. This goes to you again, Mark. Uh, maybe Benny, but probably not Benny. I saw him <laughs> throwing some. He actually threw some interns this week. I noticed that actually uh, a couple of come around interns. I thought, what the heck? Turning over a new leaf. Trying to not be too predictable. <laughs> yeah, it's only 82% out turns now. There's 18% interns. Hey, Mark, uh, when it comes to uh, Brendan, I noticed his line of delivery, I think, has changed especially on his intern side, uh, especially with maybe hack-to-board kind of weight. It seems to me that his line is starting more from center line than it used to start more kind of in front of his toe, uh, a little bit off the center line. Can you maybe get into that, get into the ner- uh, nerdy part of curling maybe a hair? Yeah, we can go into the weeds a little bit here. I think uh, the biggest thing for us as a team this year was trying to decide how Team Botcher is going to throw the curling rock. You know, that's not a two-week process. That Sometimes that can take a couple of years, uh, and we're still working on that. We've tried a few different things this year, but the key is to try to, you know, like we did forever, Kev, was try to get our rocks to travel very similar down the ice. And that starts with a consistent slide line, and begins with a good rock position. So as a group, we've actually made a few changes and we've all moved our rock a little bit here and there throughout the season to try to find out where do we want to start from. You know, I think over the past few weeks, Brendan may have moved that rock a little bit more to center. I think that's a really comfortable spot for him, but there's certain things that come with that. We have to make sure that he's still getting out to the broom and getting on that slide line that is similar to Brett's and Ben's. You know, and then throw a lefty in there and things get even a little more complicated. But we've had some great conversations. You know, we're bringing three to four different philosophies together and trying to make it work. And that's also why we've been a little bit inconsistent. You know, when things are going well and we're sliding good and we're feeling good, I think every event we won this year, we won undefeated. Things were clicking great. When we were a little bit off, technically, you saw us struggle a bit and sometimes not qualify. So 
you know, it's still a work in progress. And, and now with Dave Murdoch coming on board with Curling Canada, he's going to bring a little bit of a different different technical proficiency to the group. You know, we're going to take some tidbits from him as well and, and really try to find that secret technical formula that allow us to be consistent week in and week out. I knew you would notice some of that type of stuff. There's definitely been some changes over the course of the year for sure. So, Benny, who's going to be the translator for Murdoch for you guys? <laughs> I think as long as as long as he doesn't have a couple pints, I think we got his language nailed down. I don't think he's coming to any of our practices after a few beers. I think that's uh, taboo these days. So I think we got him. But a couple beers with him, and he's he's a no go. But no, I'm I'm excited to work with Dave, and uh, I think like Mark said, he's going to bring some good stuff to our team, and hopefully we can nail something down, take a couple things from him you know, implement what we were trying to do here in Calgary and Edmonton and see if we can keep moving the needle. That's grand. That's great. That's grand. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> Two pints of lager and a packet of crisps, boys. We'll be good. <laughs> That's pretty good, Jimmy. Yeah, not bad, huh? Yeah, okay. Yeah, not bad. <laughs> Warren. Great. Well, congratulations again, guys, and thanks for joining us. Uh, Mark, I believe this is your 17th Grand Slam, which I would assume that is the, the new record. Kevin has 15 and Glenn Howard has 14, Uh-oh. but I think... Kevin's Uh-oh. got more than that. What's Kevin got? Is Kevin 18? 18. Is 18. So you're one behind him now. Worked really hard to get that 18th one, Warren. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I knew you were the leader. Anyway, so Mark's catching you. So uh, are you uh, now the current person right behind Kevin or is there somebody else there? Uh, I think I'm right there. I take that with a grain of salt, though. There's a couple things with that. One is winning 18 as a skip is something special. And even what Brad Gushu has been able to do, I think he has 14 as a skip is is pretty ridiculous. So I, I've just kind of been, uh, you know, playing second or third. So it's a little bit different. And the other thing when it comes to Kevin's 18 is we've had more opportunities at slams than Kevin has. Kevin played at a at a time where there was only four slams. You know, I think we've had five or six years now where there's been five, six, and sometimes seven slams. So I've certainly had more opportunities to get up to that number. And so my 17 just means two things. One, it means I've been around a really long time. And two, I've just been lucky to be on some incredible teams. Like you look at the list of skips that have won more than five slams, and I think I've played with most of them. You know, whether it's Kevin the old bear here or Kevin Cooey or Brad Jacobs or Brendan Botcher. So you know, I've had some great teammates, and, and I look at that number at 17 as just being a really fortunate guy to have been around a long time. And, uh, you know, I certainly don't feel like I'm trying to catch Kevin by any means. Warren, just so you know, if and when Mark does get to 18 or 19, Kevin will send a text, and it'll have an asterisk besides all the ones that weren't the real four majors. Yeah, yeah. To let Mark know the real number that he's at. Yeah. <laughs> It'll just be a personal text. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 We'll be on Twitter. So Kevin got into a bit about the fact, uh, new team, and uh, you guys had your struggles over the year. You were up and down a bit, but certainly the Champions Cup was your best performance. You talked about a few things you guys are still working on. Do you feel you're now at the point after that uh, event that you're getting close to where you want to be or other things besides what you guys mentioned that still need to be tweaked a bit? think we're close Warren I think uh you know we're learning some new stuff every week but the one thing we did this week really well was uh we're closing out tight games I think that's something over the year that we may have struggled with you know we we lost a couple of tight games at the Briar we've lost a couple of tight games at slams in quarterfinals and semifinals and this week we had a lot of close games and we were able to just finish them off a couple of big shots in seven and eight 
And if you look at the guys that have won a lot over the last few years, they're able to do that. You know, Brad's won almost every close game he's played in. So we're getting better at that. And I think we're definitely getting closer. And And this win will only help propel that going into early next year with some momentum and, and that feeling and that belief that we're one of the best teams in the world. I think that goes a long way. What do you think, Benny? Yeah, I think uh, I still think we actually have a lot of work to do, actually, but but not not near as much as we did at the start of the year. You know, we came from four different teams. Like Kevin was talking about technical and what we wanted to do. I think the first two months we weren't really making a whole bunch of changes because we needed to see what we had first. You know, I I made a mechanical change this year. You did? Yeah. What'd you do? Well, I just had to, I changed my changed my grip on my rock a little bit. Just the young guys were like, okay, old timer. That doesn't work anymore. So they, they made me make a change. You know, it was even an adjustment for me. So, you know, and, you know, Mark didn't make too many technical changes because Mark's pretty good. But, you know, the rest of us were working on some stuff. And I think um, I think next year just trusting each other, even trusting the coach to implement what we want to do. Like even with Paul coming from Curling Canada, he'd never really coached one team. He's always coached a, a bunch of different teams. So introducing him to the team, introducing him to the players, what his strengths are, what his weaknesses are, where we can use them. We really didn't utilize Paul, I don't think, to his full capacity until later in the year, until we all kind of got to know him, had that good relationship. But he was uh, outstanding for us in Regina. And I think uh, going forward, we're going to have a good recipe there. But, you know, the inconsistency, come, you know, I hate it. I hated it more than anybody because my patience level is very low. But it was part of the plan. Like, I know it looked maybe a little bit dirty from the outside. But when we went to Grand Prairie and we went 0-4, I remember driving up to Grand Prairie going, I don't know if we're going to win <laughs> because we were, we were trying new stuff. I will say this. If our team commits to doing something and trying something mechanically and in practice and transitioning it to the game, oh, there's no holding back. There's no going to the safe swing when they're out there on the ice. So big credit to Brett and Brendan for that, because I know if I was shooting in the 60s, 70s, uh, trying to do a, a hit a draw and I had the old steady cut down the middle, I'd be playing the cut in a heartbeat. But, um, you know, so we stuck to it. So that was a, it's a really good thing for this team. And I think going forward, you know, anything we try to do to implement, you know, with Dave and with Paul next year, I think it's going to click uh, a lot quicker. And we have closed the gap so, so much from where we were in, in September, October. So that's what's exciting for me. So, Benny, stats say that you shot 100% in the final game. How many times have you done, done that in, in your lifetime? And the no-tick rule, how has that changed the Leeds job? I've shot a hundred plenty of times in my life <laughs> and I promise you, I didn't, I did not shoot a hundred in the final. So that was fluffed. I missed uh, a little fluff. Okay. I probably had two half shots in the final. So I was probably 96, but I also, they had me at like 78 one game and I thought I was like 85. So you know what? They kind of just gave it back to me a bit. Stats are, are interesting depending on who you got. I got the hometown statter, I think, in the final there. It gave me a little bit of love. <laughs> How has the no-tick rule changed the Leeds game? I remember when the tick first came out and everyone was playing the tick. They're like, oh, it's a hard shot for the lead. It's like, that's a very makeable shot. And it gets made 85 to 90% of the time. I actually find it harder to go dead top four buried and stack it perfectly behind so the other teams can't get in there. Like, I actually think it makes the Leeds job a little bit tougher you know, even at the Briar, the game we lost to Dunstone in the 10th, you know, mine weren't perfectly stacked. They were pretty good. They were top four, but one was kind of off center a little bit. And it ended up being a rock that Brendan jammed on. And then Matt made a good draw and my two shots weren't perfect. So, you know, I wasn't pointing the finger at anybody after the Briar uh, semifinal. That's for sure. It was coming back at me. But, 
I think uh, more than anything, just you got to be real sharp in the later ends when it comes down to when the tick shots we played. You know, we weren't a big team that would play it, I think, in the fourth to sixth ends by any stretch. I know Mark and his team did that, but uh, in, in the later ends, you got to have your draw weight in your back pocket and set up the guys really well. So on the light side, on the final edition of the Sheet Show, you took the Eden Spinner Rama shot and uh, half a dozen curlers and you tried to duplicate it. Yeah. I don't think anybody was able to do it. So what was the final conclusion? Is that a shot that actually can be practiced and be made or was that just a little bit of a fluke? Oh, no, it's certainly something he practices to be able to make. I mean, you're not going to do, you're not going to waste a lot of your practice doing that because it's a shot you might try, you know, once every 20 games when the opportunity shows. But when we all slid out to throw the shot, you could tell immediately who had practiced the shot and who hadn't. Nicholas, when he threw it, I was holding the broom for him. When he threw it, I was like, okay, that looks very close again. Like he knew exactly where his rock was going. The rest of us were kind of giggling and laughing. Like it's certainly, there is an amount of skill to it because he, he's put the time in on it, but to actually make it with the perfect way it hit in the spot. I mean, the rock travels different. It doesn't curl the same. He even said, he said it's, it's both half fluke, half skill. But yeah, an incredible shot, and it was it was pretty interesting to see everybody try it. The funny part, Warren, is, and I think you guys may have talked about it earlier in the year, is that Oscar tried that at, in Penticton. I think it might have been the semifinal. He had a shot for two, and he almost made it. And that was the first time I'd ever seen somebody actually try it. And his might have even been more difficult than what Nicholas did, and he almost made it. So it's pretty cool to think that this is something that they practice back at home, and might be something you see some uh, some people throw into their practice regime a little more often. I really want to get into sponsorship. I guess the way things have changed is probably what I want to talk about because your brand has changed a bit, right? You, you just said you went, you know, from Brad Jacobs to from, you know, with, with me and so on and so on over the years. Now you have to build a new brand, the new team botcher that you're part of yeah. uh, and the importance of social media, because of course, back in when we curled together, that wasn't a thing yet. Yeah. So I guess your business model of how do you control all these things and who controls it now? How do you, I guess, organize your business? Good, big question. And it was a big part of putting the team together. And I'll probably do a little bit more sucking up here again. But, uh, you know, obviously, Ben and I learned a ton of that from you back in the day and just approaching the sport as a little bit more of a business. And if you really want to be the best in the world, you have to put the time in. And in order to have the time on the ice and practice, you better have some great sponsors. So you know, Benny and I last year, once we put the team together, it was kind of uh, priority number one was let's get some great partners on board. Uh, and more importantly, let's try to get them on board for the full four years. None of the one and done. Let's get some people that are invested and interested and excited to watch us grow from, you know, this starting point to where we could potentially be at the Olympics in 2026. So we've done a great job of that. And it's an important thing every single time we go to an event, you know, last weekend in Regina, we had uh a new sponsor, Caitlin from Aztec, that was there all week and and really gets invested right from the start in the wins and losses. So that relationship part of it is huge for us. You know, it's not just about a, a sponsor check. It's way more than that. So, you know, Ben's definitely taken the lead on that over the years. You know, it's something he brings to the table, which is really fantastic and we're all grateful and he puts a ton of work in during the year you know um, to your point Kevin in regards to social media we do have a social media manager we have a certain amount of posts that need to go out every week and 95% of that is Ben keeping things on track from a brand perspective so Jimmy you asked what we did once we got home from Regina the first thing we did on Monday morning was Ben and I had a call about you know securing sponsors for next year 
appearances that we have to take care of over the summer. It's becoming big business to be able to compete and try to be one of the best teams in the world. So yeah, Benny manages most of it, but we've definitely learned a lot over the years from you and um, knowing that you need those good relationships to make this work. When you guys are signing these four-year deals, do you include, Mark said you've got appearances to make, are they included in the deal? If you do really good and you win something big like you did last week, is there a bonus structure? And do you have contracts with each player? Are you a four-person contracted team? Is the coach under contract? Can you cut somebody clean when Mark doesn't make a shot for a month, Benny? Can you just get rid of them? Like, how's it work? You know, it's funny. I mean, Kev, you would know when we were going good and, you know, we had the best marketing team ever with you and me, Mark and John, because you had four guys that could go speak at engagement that were very personable and could all do that, right? It wasn't really a one-man show. And I think what's changed the most over the years and what we have to focus on now, which we didn't have, which I'm so grateful we did have, but the personal relationship that you build from not having social media and going to meet Sid and going to Mooseman to golf with Ward and to be able to meet those people and actually have a friend relationship with them. I honestly, if you looked at our jerseys today, I don't know of any sponsors that I don't have an unbelievably great relationship with. Text, call, update on the game. They want a picture, a video for their friends, extra, extra. There's a big business component that goes with it. And we have deliverables that have to be delivered. But man, today, I think where some teams get lost in the struggle of the sponsorship thing is I had a podcast. You guys have a podcast. So you sell on impressions. You sell on likes and comments and shares and views. Those are great. And they really, really are great. But the personal touch of having a relationship with your sponsor, being able to go to their events and speak to them and them actually actually know who you really are, not who you are behind the window of social media or who you try to be. When you talk about your brand, Kevin, man, my brand is exactly who I am on TV, off the ice with my wife, with my friends. Like my brand is not fake. It's very clear who I am and for better or worse, but my sponsors that love me, love me and the people that don't, don't. And And I'm good with that. I'm very good with that. So I think being authentic really is the key thing. And I think there's, there's people for everybody, but being authentic and not fake, you know, we have to do the videos and we have to do the tweets like Mark talked about, you know, for exposure, logo recognition, trying to get people to sign up here and see the brand. But the personal connection we have that we've built with our sponsors, I did forget one thing I did Monday when I got home Monday morning, me and Brett golfed with ATB and the assistant captain for the Calgary flames, uh, Chris Tanev. We went out and we got all the dirt on the flames. It was awesome. <laughs> you know, so it's a, it's a nonstop job, but we, you know, we're pretty fortunate in our team and the relationships we've built that we're not really partnering with anybody. You know, we're partnering with people that have the same vision, companies we want to be involved in, more so people we want to be involved with. You know, we're not just taking money and running to the hills. Uh, if there's a good partnership to be had and we can add value, it's important. We're back in the day, if you're starving for money, you know, you take anyone throwing some money at you and you kind of do what you can do, but we're really trying to look for partners that if I know we can bring them value, they're never leaving. We've tried to kind of create our brand around that and partners that can leverage us and we can leverage them. And yeah, we're pretty fortunate. We have amazing sponsors. And uh, as far as the four-year deals and the players go, I think there's maybe a couple of them because one of our sponsors is Brendan's company, Spartan Controls. So if Brendan gets cut, which he's not getting cut, he's the cutter. <laughs> he's the cutter. If, if my company, if I leave, obviously Caltech's gone. And I think in a couple of the other contracts, it might say if a team changes. I know Ben there has that in their ATB. Like if there's a team change, if there's an option to leave, 
I think that's more so if our favorite guy or our contact that brought the sponsorship in leaves, we're gone. But, uh, you know, I don't anticipate that on this team and our partners are pretty loyal. So I think teams could have that. And as far as bonuses go, you know, Kev, I know we had sponsors that had bonuses in there. I've had that in the past too. Currently right now, I think we only have one or two that maybe have bonuses for, for Briar or Pinty's uh, cup, but all sorts of different ways to create your, your contract and your partnerships. But uh, to each their own. I think there's a benefit to both sides. I, I don't know how long we want to go here, Jimmy, because I can, you know, the stuff we don't cover, Mark, I'll talk to you at the Salvo. Sure, sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, how old are the girls now? I want to get a little bit, just a touch into the family stuff because it's hard. You, you're on the road. I don't know how many days you're on the road, 150 days or something. Um, and, and it's been, well, forever now that you've been on the road uh, and, and, and dealing with the family stuff. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, you you lived it as well. I think, um, you know, this is our profession. This is my job, curling, being on the road and, and trying to win and taking care of partnerships and sponsorships and being accountable to my teammates. And, you know, my girls are now 14 and 12 and they're little athletes of their own. But this is as far as they've ever known, this has been dad's job. You know, we, we go and we perform and we work our tails off and when I get home, I'm a uh, dad first and a husband first. And same as you, I rush home to get my girls. You used to get uh, Michaela to softball as, whenever you could and fast pitch and go coach. And I get home and I get my girls to triathlon and dance and try to be involved at home as much as humanly possible. And I know Benny's doing the same. He's coaching his girl now and uh, actually coaching Griffin hockey too. So that balance, you know, that's that's my whole life. Those are my priorities, trying to be the absolute best teammate and curler I can be and then coming home and trying to be the absolute best husband and dad I can be. And that's it. And that's a 24-hour-a-day job, and and I wouldn't have it any other way. You know, I, I absolutely love it. Uh, and I know when Ben and I were putting this team together, we wanted people that were similar to us. We wanted people that treated this wonderful sport like a job and we're going to be accountable to one another uh, and then when they were home they were doing the right things with family and with their fitness and their health and we've gotten really lucky that we've got a really great dynamic and great group of four guys here that are on that same wavelength very similar to what we used to have Kev so it was kind of what we were trying to build and I think we're definitely on the right track did you say uh looking after your kids that you you got to run them around to a triathlon is that what I heard yeah, yeah. Both my girls are little oh, triathletes. Man. They're uh, they're trying out this year to be in the Alberta Summer Games. They're they're good little swimmers, and uh, they don't really love the running part. But as long as they get to swim, they'll do it. So it's a big focus for us is to just you know have our kids play a whole bunch of sports and just to have a healthy lifestyle. And um, you know it's what Ben and I did growing up, and so did Kev. We played a million sports, and curling's the one that stuck. But that right. we definitely want them to, to be exposed to a whole bunch of different things. So that's what we've tried to do with our girls. And to be honest, try to keep them busy to keep them out of trouble, too. That's a big part of it as well. I don't have much to add. I mean, my kids are playing sports. I played every sport in the world growing up in Regina, and I love it, man. It's like, it's my favorite thing with my kids is taking them to sports. I don't even know if I, if I didn't put them in sports, I'm not sure what I would do with them. So it's uh, my little guy's playing hockey. I coached him this winter. He's a little stud. He's playing lacrosse <laughs> now. Went to my daughter's ball practice last night and kind of wanted to watch her and the girls. And my little guy brought his lacrosse stick and brought mine. So we ended up in the park uh, over from the ball diamond playing lacrosse for an hour and a half. And he's a little beast, right. my little guy. And then my daughter, um, she made a little travel ball team here, which is exciting. I know 
Kevin's youngest played competitive ball growing up and, and my daughter's nine. So she made a little team. So I'm actually, I'm heading up to Edmonton this weekend for a tournament in St. Albert. I'm going to Red Deer, Montana, Moose Jaw. So my next eight weeks, I'm traveling around watching my daughter play ball. And then she curls too. So it's awesome. She got into curling the last couple of years, played in the Mark Kennedy Jr. Classic this year, which was great. So I got to come up and she curled against Mark's daughter. And uh, yeah, we had a lot of fun. She loves the curl and loves the ball. And me and my wife are full-time taxi drivers. We're pretty boring, to be honest with you, but it's uh, yeah, there's, I'm with Mark. There's nothing else I'd rather do. It's the best. Well, you better keep winning cash if you're doing travel teams. Uh, yeah, it ain't cheap. I got a question for both of you before we go. Um, you guys have been curling a long time now. Ultimately, you're going to end up uh, for sure being offered to coach. Ben, I'll start with you. Over the years, what has changed in, in curling that you've had to adapt to? you know, from when you did start to where it is now and, and young guys who are coming in, what do they have to learn? What skills do they have to learn that maybe you guys didn't, or is the game still the same and it's basically still the same, or would it be a bunch different for new guys coming in? Well, I mean, the game certainly changed a lot with obviously the rules. Rules have changed. Sweeping's obviously made a big difference for how we used to sweep uh, to now. I think that's probably the, the biggest one as far as a technical, but Man, you look back, like, I actually watched one of our games with me and Kevin and John and Mark, like maybe a 2009 or 10 game. I'm like, were we good or did everyone else just suck? Like, I'm just, I was just, you know, I'm a nerd. I'm a right. curling nerd. So I kind of had to go back and watch. And like, I watched the game. We were shooting 90s. We were good. We were good young. We had a good mentor with Kevin. We had a good coach with Jules. Johnny was in his prime. We were a hardworking team. We were maybe just a little bit ahead of the curve that, Everyone got to that level, but I thought we'd been kind of at that level for a long time doing the right things. We were always looking to evolve, but the game didn't evolve. Like like the, the, the rock rule didn't change. The sweeping didn't change. If that stuff would have changed, you know, in, in 2008 to 2012, you know, we had the team to adapt to do that. And I think you see the teams now, like I just turned 40. You know, I was out there changing my delivery at the start of this year. You know, if you have a good mind for the game and a good work ethic and you want to improve, you know, you can't be old school and, and not open-minded to make changes and do things that are going to make you a better player. And I think that our team at that time, yeah, we did that. But if there was something else better that we could have done, I think we probably would have done it then. And and now, like, with guys like Brendan and Brett, you know, coming from playing with Brad Gushu and playing with other really good players, you know, they're bringing a lot of things that maybe we didn't think about and we tried them and or maybe we'll continue to try them until we find kind of what clicks for us. But you know, you look at the Scots, how they throw. You look at Nicky and his spins. I mean, there's all sorts of different things you can do, but it's committing to something and doing it properly that's going to make it work the best. We've got the type of resumes where we could sit back and say, we're the best. No one's going to take those away from us. We don't need to change anything, but that's a path to irrelevancy. So we're always trying to learn, always trying to get better. You know, our young guys, Brett and Brendan, you know, they probably do most of the talking and and when it comes to technical and practice and Benny and I are still sitting there just taking it all in and learning and trying to get better. So, you know, my message to the young kids, no matter how good you are, is, you know, keep your eyes and ears open. You can never stop learning, adapting, getting better, improving. Look at what the best are doing. You know, watch a bunch of games. I've watched a hundred Brad Gushu games over the past five years just because they've been so dominant and think, what are they doing better than us and how do we keep getting better? You know, that's the key to continuing to, to be successful and just keep working your tail off. So, so Benny certainly was on the right track. 
Right on. Who should we be looking for now, you guys? It's, uh, you know, the day where Canada was walking over everybody is, is over. Very internationally competitive now. We hear some new names drift in. Who do you guys like quickly before we go, Ben, uh, that we should be watching for that you've curled against saying, okay, watch out for these kids? Young teams coming up. Well, I mean, that Ross White team, you know, they're they're not far behind Bruce Mowat. They're, they're very good. They work hard. They're running the exact same program. I know they're already probably like top 10, top 12, but but they're moving up the ladder. I don't think it's going to be long until them and, and Bruce might be, uh, you know, going toe-to-toe. In Canada, I mean, it's not like Matt Dunstone's young, but he had a really good year himself personally. I think he made a lot of good shots, you know, big shots and big games. You know, maybe we'll see what happens with Cooey's new team with with Jacques and his cousin Tyler, you know, having some young guys. You know, that'll be interesting to see. You know, he's obviously, him and Tyler are kind of two guys that are, you'd think would be up and coming in Canada. Outside of that, like Sweden, I mean, do they have any other curlers? I don't know what the program is there. I'm not really too sure. You know, the one team that is wildly impressive, and I I don't even know if I've ever seen them play, and they're still like U18, U20, but that Plett team out of Edmonton, Mark, is that the, man, they just like went on a major tear this year with, you know, Dave Nedwin's daughter and and Beth Iskew's daughter on the team. You know, they had a heck of a season winning everything and pretty young. And if that team can stay together, you know, get the coaching they need and, you know, some sponsorship and role, you know, they might be a, Little Rachel Holman coming out of junior, dominating early and young if they keep rolling. But outside of that, I'll have to flip that over to Mark. He's a little more in in tune with that kind of stuff. That was better than I expected, Benny. Well done. That was good. That was good. We we talk about these young players coming up. I'll throw another name out at you guys to keep an eye out for the next five or ten years. Would be uh, James Crake out of uh, Scotland. I believe he won gold at the World University Games. He lost the final this year to Bruce in Scotland in a really good game. And we actually had the chance to play him at the Players' Championship. He was playing uh, second for Ramsfell there. First time I've ever had a chance to play him. But I think since he was about 12 years old, him and his dad had reached out to us on Facebook, you know, looking for tips and loved curling and wanted uh, jerseys from our old team. And, you know, just a young guy that, you know, loves the game. And, and with the tutelage he's getting in Scotland, I would say that's a name to watch out for in the next five to ten years. Benny and I will be long gone by then. So, you know, we, we, we talk about how many of these young kids we've taught either at a clinic or given advice to, and now they're out on the tier, tour and kicking our ass. You know, Tyler Tardy's a perfect example of that. So thankfully we don't have to put up with that much longer, but you know, the future of curling is in good hands. Thanks a lot, boys, for coming on. You never know when Ben Hebert's coming on your, uh, an episode of our show, this could end up being a shoot show, but it wasn't, it was very good. No swears, maturing, yeah, okay. maturing. Not yet. No, not yet. Yeah, I'll, I'll look after those. Thanks a lot, boys. Congratulations. Uh, keep rolling. Enjoy your time off. Um, and uh, of course, we'll be watching for you uh, down the road. Benny, let me know when Sloane's playing in St. Albert. Mark, come across. This will be a really fun game. The three of us sitting watching Sloane. You used to come and watch Michaela in Calgary when she'd play there all the time. So I look forward to it and see you two in the next couple of weeks when you're up in St. Albert. Yeah, sounds good. We'll do. See you, boys. Thanks, guys. Thanks, fellas. Thanks, guys. See you, guys. There they go. Mark Kennedy, Ben Hebert. Warren, how, how are these guys uh, 
sustaining themselves for for so long. You know, obviously they won this week and they've been around a long time. God, when Mark started to bang off the teams he's been with, holy man, looks like he might be the the good factor on a lot of those teams. Uh, and the other one is that it might be more fun to play on that team than maybe Guju's team. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Guju doesn't look like he has a lot of fun, man. <laughs> How have they been able to do it, Warren? Well, again, as I've said many times, I think your ability to sustain in curling or any sport is is very mental. And uh, as long as you have the desire and uh, it still brings something into your life that you feel you need and you want to do, then you, you keep forging ahead. I mean, both Mark and Benny have been around for a long time. I'm thinking back to Benny. Uh, he actually curled in Saskatchewan originally. And I believe, Kevin, if I'm not wrong, he played in the 2006 Briar for Saskatchewan, did he not? Uh, for sure, with Pat Simmons. Yeah, yes. with Simmons. Um, yeah, yeah. before he came on our team, yeah. And he also was in the uh, um, junior, uh, Steve Laycock, I'd like to say, but I could be wrong with that one. He played in junior, though, and, and in a world junior for somebody. And Anyway, yeah, Ben's been on winning teams his whole life. Let's go to the mailbag brought to you by Nestle Boost, complete nutrition to fuel your day. Hey, guys, love your podcast, and the last episode was great. I agree that curling needs to be more accessible to the next generations, and I don't mind the idea of trimming down certain aspects to save time and finding new ways to make it more engaging. I also understand the challenges around cost and the idea that maybe clubs should be charging more. But what if a new approach were to be taken? The two nearest clubs to me, as I am sure many do, have annual dues uh, if you wish to participate on a regular basis. I I don't know many people in my generation or younger who want to do that. It's like buying the gym membership you never go to. Other sports mentioned in comparison are bowling and golfing in its various aspects. The genius here with these and similar sports is if I suddenly feel like I want to go bowling or ice skating or hit some golf balls, all I have to do is go and the cost is minimal. But that's the beauty of this for the club uh, or facility as they should be able to make more money on those who want to try the sport once in a while on impulse. There needs to be a business model in which a curling club has quote-unquote open sessions in which curling could be experienced at leisure. This way, a club could find income as they currently do, but could also have sessions with individual time slot fees and rentals of equipment. Your thoughts, fellas. Keep up the great podcast. And that's Noel. I want to say Kakachka. I think think you're close. I've always said, Warren, can I just go to a curling club like I can a driving range? Throw a few rocks, give them 20 bucks or 15 or whatever it is, like a bucket of balls. Noel's got a packed email there. What do, what do you say, Warren? I couldn't agree with him more. And I think this is one of the challenges curling is facing going forward because it's pretty much been, if you're going to be a member of the curling club, you're going to play on a four-person team and you're going to play every Monday night at 7 o'clock and Thursday night at 9. And that might change a bit over the year, but you're going to be designated to playing at certain times in a league. You're probably going to have to start out playing lead on the team if you're a new player. And I think the age we're living in today, that's just not appealing to to many people. And I think a whole bunch of creative ideas have to be brought into the sport that aren't there right now. Some people are doing some new and interesting things, but most aren't. And I think if any club is having trouble, you take a look at what they're offering and it's the same old, same old is probably their biggest problem. So it's a long, detailed explanation story, but yes, he does have some very good points, and I think curling has to look in a different direction than they have been. Kevin, uh, do you see clubs having to do something different to get more people interested? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, you know, 
It's funny around Edmonton here. Um, we have a golf course called the Ranch. You probably played sure. it, Jimmy. Tons. Yep. Um, and it's basically there's almost no members, if any. Um, it's a it's a golf course. It's for tournaments. And there's some public will play, but it's so busy with tournaments. That's how they make their money. And they have a great food and beverage. And and then there's other courses that are membership golf courses. There's no reason that you have to have all membership curling clubs. You know, you can be event, you know, an event club or that kind of thing. And there's no reason why not. I was talking to Andrew Brett. So he's one of the owners of Goldline Curling, one of our sponsors. But when he got into the curling industry, he, he started curling at a curling club. And him and I, we were really good friends. And he, uh, he came into the club and to Warren's point, he was the lead. Guess what? He's still the lead. When we talked about triples the first time going back, I don't know how, two, three years ago, right away, he got a hold of me and said, Kevin, that's exactly would be perfect for me. He said, I entered the club. I have a great time. He, you know, obviously people in curling are fun, but he's been stuck at lead ever since. For him, triples would be great because then you get into the club, you get to learn how to hold the broom, how to read ice and all that kind of stuff. And, and you get to kind of get to touch the whole game. So, no, I think uh, Noel's hit a really good point is that we need to open up the way clubs run and, and how do you bring in new people. And maybe they only want to curl four times a year, but while they're there, they're going to have dinner and have a bunch of drinks and perfect. And we see them once every couple of months. And that's wonderful. Those are people that we really want to see in the club. Right on. Uh, very good. Thank you, Noel, for your uh, email, yeah, insightcurling at gmail.com. If you want to uh, drop us a line and your email may get read on the show. I might add, Jim, that last week in Facebook, yep. Rod put up two separate postings that said, someone please send Jim an email. And so far, none have arrived. Crickets. Crickets. <laughs> People just don't realize my talent yet, Warren. It, it, okay, I could answer any. Your in-depth knowledge. Yeah, really. I don't understand. Deep, deep, they just, you know, that was hurtful, Warren. I'm going to take a moment. <laughs> Time for what's happening around the curling world, brought to you by Sports Interaction. You want to bet? You can do it at Sports Interaction. Get in on the action and make a play at Sports Interaction. And they take action, by the way, on curling. You got to be 19 years or older to play, and we want you to play responsibly. As you know by now, uh, we know the champions on the men's side. Uh, Brendan Botcher's team, Brent Gallant, Mark Kennedy, and Ben Hebert, of course, who we just had on. Uh, they won the Coyote Champions Cup. And Rachel Homan, one of the uh, women's side. I saw, if I saw that post right by her, I think she's pregnant again. I think she was holding up an ultrasound picture or something. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Kev, you were there on the ground all week. Uh, what do you take away from it? Well, that's the truth, yes, with, with Rachel, which is absolutely fantastic. It'll be uh, little one number three, so they'll her and her husband will have to figure out what's causing that because that's uh, three awful quick back-to-back-to-back, to back to back, but that's wonderful news. Um, what a women's final. Um, <laughs> Carrie Anderson gets out. Uh, Rachel starts the game with hammer, if you can, you know, and that's great. And then uh, Carrie gets one in the first, steals one, steals two, four, nothing, then forces. Rachel had to draw... Yeah, full eight, bite four foot, outturn against six <laughs> in the fourth. Makes it. So now it's four to one, but Carrie has hammer. It's over, right? Then Rachel steals one and five and six. And I don't know if everybody saw the last shot of the game where Carrie is trying to hit feather tick one of hers to the nail. They roll together frozen. I don't know if you saw this, Jimmy. The two rocks rolled together frozen and over top of the pin. And Carrie's she thinks she's won 
And the other teams, well, no, no, we've won. <laughs> and oh, then, no. Yeah, Jim, and, and in order to tell who was shot, they had to move a rock physically with their hand because they were frozen together covering the pin. So uh, Vel Sweeting, I believe it was, who moved the Rachel Holman stone, and sure enough, underneath it was the pin. Wow. So then Rachel's team won. You know, the men's, the men's final was compelling. Right. Brad Gushu has a quarter rock around the horn to win the game. Didn't have to stick it. So, you know, that was a very makeable shot. Hit it a bit thick. Okay, that was exciting. But the women's game, to have the two rocks stop covering the nail on TV, you can't tell whose shot until Vel moves one of them. Right. That's awesome. Like, what an event. Uh, the crowds... The Saturday night, Jimmy, I text Shauna because mm-hmm. uh, it was a full house, complete sellout. It was a wonderful event. Regina, they always put on a great event. I think Warren's put on events in Regina over the years, and it's just it's fantastic and it's great sponsorship. So anyway, the year finished off on a very big high, I would say, with a great men's final, a great women's final, sold out building. You know, it's kind of, what, what else would you want? Yeah, yeah, isn't that great? Uh, Warren, you probably watched it all week because you don't sleep. <laughs> I did, Jim, and two very different games, I thought, uh, in the men's and women's finals, but two very entertaining games, and I thought the game between Botcher and Gushu was probably one of the best curling games I had ever watched. The mm-hmm. fact that uh, the Gushu team curled 93% and Botcher was 91 and things like we talked earlier, Benny Hebert was 100%, but his opponent, Walker, was at 98 so it was just an extremely well-played game. I thought the difference was, I think the sixth end, Mark Nichols had a run back to play on a gar- on a rock that wasn't even in, it was in the eight foot, I believe, but he didn't make that run back. And as a result, it uh, allowed Botcher to score two. And uh, to me, that was the difference, was that one missed run back. There was three or four teams that actually played in that event again with only three players. It's kind of interesting, I think, that somebody's going to have to sit down and say, do we want teams playing with three players in these major competitions that are televised? Don't know the answer to that question, but I think it's going to need some discussion going forward. Remember, Jim, a few weeks ago at, I think it was the Scotties or some other event, somebody wrote us an email, and we think we read it on air, that they were complaining that there wasn't enough to do in the concourse and for yes, kids? Yes, a father and his son. So in, yeah. Yeah, so in, in Regina, they actually had curling games set up in the concourse. And I actually played curling with a little guy, Isaiah, and uh, we had a game throwing the rocks back and forth. And they had things set up for kids, and they had a whole bunch of all the various sponsors and setups and uh, food companies to, to, uh, to buy their food, but they were also promoting various foods. And they just did a really good job of the concourse and setting up almost like a, a, a market. And Regina must have listened to uh, that email. Right because my goodness did they do a bang on job of keeping people busy between games it was really really well done Warren maybe I could set up a booth uh, at the next Grand Slam on the concourse and take people's questions you know can you imagine the lineup oh I don't know Jim maybe you should set up a kiss a kissing booth So, Warren, uh, we make some picks, as we've been doing the last little while. How'd we do? Well, let's take a look. First with the women's, Jim. 
You yes. picked Anderson and Jones. You got one point. Yep. Kevin picked Anderson and Gim. Kevin gets one point. Yep. Warren picked Peterson and Jones got zero. Zero. Man. Zero. That's two weeks in a row with, yeah, Warren, with Warren getting zero. Zero. down, man. All right. Hang on. Hang on. <laughs> on the men's side, Jim picked yep. Dunstan and Botcher. Jim Thank gets you. two points, one for picking Botcher and one for Botcher winning. So Jim's total was three. Thank you. Kevin picked Dunstan and Botcher, so he got a point for Botcher, and he also had a point for Anderson, so he got two. So Jim's Jim's winning 3-2. Thank you. However, Warren picked Botcher and Gushu. Uh-oh. Warren got three. <laughs> so Jim and Warren are tied. <laughs> oh, Kevin's a lose guy. It's like a win. It's like a win, man. Uh, cool. I'm just gloating. That's what the pause is for. I'm like, way to go, Jim. <laughs> You've had a good run, Jimmy. That's two of the last three weeks. I've had an unbelievable run. Warren, uh, a little bit of an announcement. Uh, last week out of the States, they got a new CEO. Yes. Well, as you may remember, we had Dean Gimmel on the air with us last October when he was the acting CEO after Jeff Plush was released of his duties. So he was in that position for six months. Uh, at that point in time, when he moved from being the development director to CEO, he indicated to us that he was interested in the job full time. So they posted a few weeks ago. They actually announced it a couple of days ago that Dean Gemmel is now the new CEO of USA Curling full time. Speaking of the U.S., uh, maybe you didn't understand that Warren and I are both allowed in the U.S. Uh, and we're, I keep opening up my email every morning looking for the invite for Warren and I to come down and play golf in <laughs> Palm Springs. Okay. I'm allowed across the border now, Kev. Okay. So uh, get off your wallet. Take us down there for uh, golfing or something, Kev. <laughs> Hot Rock Topics brought to you by Coyote Tractor. If you have work to do, Coyote has the tractors, UTVs, and ZTRs to do it. Coyote, we dig dirt. The men's final at the Coyote Champions Cup between Botcher and Gushu was one of the best played games of the year. It came down to the last end. So follow along here, folks. Botcher was leading by a score of 4-3, to three, and Gushu had last rock. When it came down to Gushu's final shot, he had a choice. He could play a relatively straightforward tap back to the button for one or play a very low odds around the horn triple for two. Guju weighed the possibility of scoring in an extra without the hammer versus the circus shot for the two and the eight. He was close in the triple, but not close enough. Botcher stole a single for the big win. What would you have done? What do you think of his decision? Break that down for us. Well, there's a few things come into it. Um, you heard Brad actually on the broadcast going through the math. Um, I think he had more than a 15% chance of making that shot for a couple of reasons. They already were, had the two kickers, so Brad didn't have to actually hold the shooter. And the second thing is, if he comes off the one in the middle to the side one, it was actually trapped. There was another rock right above it of his that would trap his shooter. Um, I would have certainly taken it on. Um, the, I guess for Brad, though, like... That's not his forte, throwing it hard, hitting a quarter rock and having, you know, spin rocks over the place. If it's a Kevin Cooey, Matt Dunstone, Bruce Mallett, Nicodine, it's probably around a 60 to 70% chance of making that. It wasn't that hard, especially when you don't have to hold the rock coming across. That's key to the decision, in my opinion, is that the shooter zinging around the house did not have to be held. Kevin Martin would have done the same thing Brad did. I definitely would have done the same okay. thing. You do the math, it, it's very clear. Okay. 
Warren, would you have done the same thing? Well, I'm not sure. I, I think, you know, the analysis of it, uh, the percentage of him making the shot that he tried, hard to say. I think as Kevin and I talked yesterday, in my opinion, he had to hit that first first stone perfectly. And uh, not being totally sure how the rocks would, would probably react, but you can guess pretty well. And mm-hmm. of course, the other shot, I think he would have made that other one 90% of the time. And it's interesting at that level what they're looking at now. So before the no tick rule came in, there were stats out there that said probably about you only have probably a 10 to 15% chance of winning uh, without the hammer in the extra. But with the tick rule, that has been brought down a bit. And I think it's now more like you've got a 20% chance of possibly winning uh, that extra end. And I think we saw, particularly in the World Championship this year, there was a few times that teams lost in an extra end that had the hammer mm-hmm. uh, when they were f- faced with the difficult draws because lots of things can go on in, in a game. And I always look at it this way. It's any time when I was playing, when we were up uh, four points after the eighth end and somebody stuck out their hand and said, uh, we concede, I was going, thank God, mm-hmm. because you've got to throw 16 rocks down and 16 rocks back. And I'm always of the opinion, anything can happen. And certainly in an extra end, you can have picks, you can have burn stones, you can have uh, the other team get maybe a little jumpy if they're not as experienced maybe as, as you, you are, because there's a lot of pressure on them and there isn't much on you. They expect to win, you're hoping to. So interesting balance. I think it depends upon the ability of the players. Uh, with a Brad Gushu and a Botcher, maybe play that way. But the average uh, team out there that's maybe a little notch below those guys, maybe not so. Kevin. Okay. Yeah, when it comes to uh, percentages of, of this type of stuff, that's one great point, the, the level of the teams. I think that's really important. Right. Um, when you're talking about uh, in the world of curling right now, there's like triple A, and there's lots of people that, that play really, really well, but they're like double A. Mm-hmm. They're, they're not at the, the Brad Gushu, Nicodine, Bruce Mowat, Brennan Botch, or Kevin Cooey level. They're kind of the next group. So if you take those percentages of the steel potential – and put them into the mix with the very, very top, you will get, you know, obviously a better chance of stealing. But if you're only taking the absolute cream of the crop, the odds of stealing are not good (laughs) against the very, very best because the middle of the lineup is so good at hitting. And not not every team is like that. But if you look at uh, Nicodine's team with Rasmus and Oscar, oh my goodness. Or you look at Botcher's team with Mark and Brett, oh my goodness. If you look at EJ and Mark Nichols, oh my goodness, Right. right? The middle of the lineup, and if you look at Bobby Lammy and, and Grant. So the, the very top teams have these people that can just fire bullets down right. the ice. Well, it's really hard to steal against people like that because the double peels are made all the time. Mm-hmm. But if you've got a bit of a weak leg on that table in the middle, um, then, yeah, it's a lot easier to steal against them. So that kind of skews these percentages because they'll take like a whole like a whole briar or a whole world or even a whole slam but there's, they're not all cream of the cream. They're not all triple A. Some of the teams are double A and, and in Briars and Worlds. Some of them are A or B even. It really messes up the percentages. Right. What are you hearing? Brought to you by Hearing Life. If vision places the world in front of us, hearing places us at the center. Hearing Life invites you to love your ears with a free hearing test. No referral needed. Visit hearinglife.ca to book your free hearing test today. So what are we hearing? Uh, what we are hearing... We heard this past weekend that another team has made a change to its lineup. This time, it is the World Women's Champions, Team Terenzoni, who have uh, parted ways with their lead, Briar Schwaller Hurlman. She was uh, she has been placed by Selena 
Wit, wit, Witz, Witz. It's a German name. Witzchonka. She has been replaced by Selena Witzchonka. Yeah. You know what? You're going to start to introduce these bits, Kevin Sammy. <laughs> she has been replaced by Selena Witzchonka. Warren, what do we know about Selena? Well, this is kind of a shocking story, and there was a little piece put out, I think it was on Twitter, that says it was sort of a double shock. First, that the lead from Team Terranzoni, the world champions, Briar Schmirler Perlman, was no longer with the team. And I guess the second shock, they said, was which team was going to be ready to pick up a replacement. And of course, not long after the announcement of Schwaller Herlemann's departure, it was announced that uh, Selena Wichkonka would leave newly formed team Michelle Jaggi to join Terranzoni. Wichkonka split with team Raphael Kaiser in March to join the Jaggi team. Kaiser skipped that team, but played second while Wichkonka threw last stone. Together, those two had played in five consecutive juniors going back as far as 2016 and had actually, I think, won a bronze medal in 2019. So it's kind of an interesting move. She's much younger than the rest of Terranzoni team. She's 25 years old. Carol Halberg is 30, while Terranzoni is 43. All indications are that this was not an amicable uh, departure, and... Uh, it was a shock to, I think, uh, Swaller Herleman and to the curling world that this took place. Kevin, what have you heard about it? Yeah, well, it's just the business of curling, isn't it? These days you try to build the team that you think has the best chance of getting on the podium. And when it comes to uh, Sylvana and Alina, they uh, it's pretty hard to argue <laughs> with them. They're, they're on the podium almost all the time in the women's worlds or the Olympics. Well, not the Olympics so much, but in the worlds. So they're definitely trying to build their way to the podium at the Olympics, and um, that's obviously what what they're trying to accomplish. Now they had a they had a, a pretty good year. Like there's some, you know, there's some of the you know they had the best year ever. Well, not so much for Alina or Silvana. They did at the Worlds, winning a World Championship, but they could have you know certainly done better at the Slams. But Briar, great player, and she'll she'll land on a good team or skip again herself. Um, She's very talented and a really good mixed doubles player, well, along with her uh, her husband, Yannick. It was a bit of a shocker, actually, to see the change. But, you know, this is the year to change. We've talked about it before, Warren. You need to have a couple of seasons to to get the new team going. And if there's issues on the team, you've got to deal with it now. You know, over the summer, we're going to hear a few more changes, I would think, as well, teams around the world this year. Because once, once we get into the next season, it's kind of too late to change before the next Olympic uh, process starts mm-hmm. you heard uh ben talking about he he was at an event with all the guys from the calgary flames uh speaking of skippers they got rid of theirs okay <laughs> and, and daryl sutter and i heard after that daryl sutter is so unliked by the players that they uh, guys who were asking for trades because of him when they fired sutter they rescinded their request <laughs> to be to be traded so uh, it happens in sports all over the place there we go. That's a wrap uh, on our show. Uh, terrific stuff. Thank you to Ben, and thank you to uh, Mark Kennedy for coming on, Ben Hebert and Mark. Uh, also, speaking uh, very timely, Kevin, your interviews with uh, Nick Dean and Rachel Holman that you did on YouTube. Uh, Rachel wins, of course, and uh, it's a fantastic interview that you did. It was. It's about 12 minutes long. I know you spent three or four hours with her, but it's very insightful. If you haven't seen it, uh, go to YouTube and look for the Kevin Martin-Rachel Holman interview. Uh, we'd also like to extend a big thank you to Rod Paulson, who handles all of our uh, marketing and Facebook page. His company is called In-House Strategies. Uh, Rod does great work. Thank you. 
Uh, also, if you want to send us an email, it may get read on the show, insidecurling at gmail.com. And thank you again to Sports Interaction, Coyote, Boost, Hearing Life, and Goldline, who make all of this possible. And send Jimmy an email. Yeah, someone sent me an email, for God's sake. Yeah, feeling terrible. Uh, boys, till next week. Warren, thanks a lot, man. Kevin, thank you. And uh, we'll talk to everybody next time on Inside Curling. See you, boys. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Jimmy.